Listen, if you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 8, as we're right after the best sermon that you've ever heard, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're kind of walking through the rest of, of Matthew. But let me remind you where we were, because we spent some time in the Sermon on the Mount. And so just some reminder for what has happened here. Jesus was baptized, then he was driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness where he would be tempted by Satan. Of course, he would come out victorious for that. And then he started his ministry. It says in Matthew chapter 5, uh, where he started this, this sermon, seeing the crowds, he went up onto the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So Jesus has been up on the mountainside from 5 through 7, teaching through this Sermon on the Mount, hence the name Sermon on the Mount, right? And so he was teaching through that, and then at the end of his sermon, it says in 28 and 29 of chapter 7, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. And so we see that Jesus began his ministry with teaching. Uh, he, he called his disciples, he brought them on the mountain, and he taught, and he taught in such a way not as what we're even used to today, because I am just a poor servant of the Lord who regurgitates his word to you, right? I joke sometimes, I say, y'all don't really even need me. If you have a copy of the word, you guys can just read it and then share with one another and pray, and, and then the Holy Spirit can be your, your preacher. But Jesus taught with authority. It says that they were astonished with the level of authority that he even has. And so today's message is going to be called Kingdom Authority, and really 8 and 9 go together. And so 8 verse 1 says, when he came down from the mountain, these great crowds followed him. And so as we're going to see as we look through this, as we talked about last week, there are false teachers, right? If you remember that from last week, there are false teachers. And the difference partly is all those things that we discussed, but one of the main differences is there is only one authority. Remember, we had that as the test. Where does the authority come from? Jesus is the ultimate authority. Jesus has kingdom authority. He spoke and taught that way, and he's going to show us in chapter 8 and chapter 9 what that means for us. And so why should we rejoice in Jesus' authority? What should we think about his authority? That's what I want to talk to you about this week. Now, as we get into chapter 8, you're going to see this. Uh, hopefully, if, if you study the word for yourself, the rest of the week, if you look at 8 and 9, you see this thing called a chiastic structure. That's a fancy word. All that simply means is take a triangle, flip it on its side so it's an arrow, and the outline of 8 and 9 would kind of match that arrow structure so it kind of goes out to a middle point and then back. And so you see that with these things. Three miracle stories, then two dis descriptions of discipleship, then three miracle stories, then two descriptions of discipleship, then three miracle stories. Does that make sense? How it's kind of this triangle? If you can't picture that, that's okay. It's kind of inconsequential for where we're going. just wanted to have you have an idea of what the structure of 8 and 9 is going to look like. The bottom line, however, of Matthew 8 and 9, right after his teaching and his teaching of authority, is Jesus is now going to come down and prove his authority. And so how do you feel about authority? Do you rejoice because of authority? Is your life changed because of authority? Especially for Americans, authority can be a touchy subject. It is my prayer that after 8 and 9 that you would have a heart change that is different to embracing in and in fact maybe even rejoicing in the fact that Jesus has ultimate kingdom authority. So before we jump into his word, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, our hearts are often hard to authority, especially in our Western society, our culture that teaches us that truth is subjective, that we can have our own truth. We live our own truth. You live your truth. We live our truth. And so 
it's hard for us to submit to authority. It starts at a young age with our own parents, of which you have commanded us to submit to them. You've given us government leadership that sometimes we may not agree with. And of course, there's discord with one another. And then our, in our marriages, in our family structures, in our work environments, in our school systems, even to those who are managing us locally as governors or police officers or firefighters or the like, we struggle with authority. Authority is often misused, and that's why it gives us a bad taste. But God, we know that your son never, ever misuses his authority, that his authority is ultimate, and therefore he is worthy of our submission and our praise. So God, as we look at your scripture in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, as we look at Matthew 8 today, God, as we see this picture of Jesus' authority, we ask that you would help us to appreciate it, and to respond to it rightly. Change our hearts, not as a rebellious people, but rather joyfully submissive to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So if we jump into Matthew chapter 8, I want you to see right here that Jesus has authority in this picture over disease. Uh, You can look at it with me. It says, when he came down from the mountain, these great crowds followed him. And immediately, out of all this crowd, stood out one that would stand out amongst us even here today. Or any throng that you've ever been in, because he was a leper. Now, if you remember, we've kind of covered the section of what it means to be a follower of Christ, and we talked about this leper, and we went over leprosy. But I want to ask you, do you feel like a leper this morning? Do you feel like an unclean person this morning? Are there scars in your life that you still carry that you desperately try to hide from the world around you. Maybe it's not you, maybe it's a family member. Maybe there's a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter in your life. Maybe it was you, maybe not. And so I want to ask you, do you feel unclean this morning? Because if you do, understand that Jesus has authority over disease. Or perhaps, perhaps you're here this morning and you're suffering from an actual real disease. Now remember we talked about false teachers, false prophets, and how there are charlatans out there that will massive TV audience where they heal people. And I made that statement about if I ever get the gift of healing, then I quit here and I'm going to St. Jude's Children's Hospital, right? But the fact of the matter is, is Jesus can still heal you today. He still heals. He still performs miracles. And so don't give up that hope because some abuse that authority on television or other things. Pray for healing. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus will heal you either in this life or in the life to come. But perhaps, like this leper, you feel unclean. And so he came to him, and this leopard came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So he's not doubting Jesus' power, and so neither should you this morning. If you feel unclean before God, I think you're in good company, not only with lepers, but in the rest of us who should know our depraved hearts before a holy and righteous God. And so we can come to him and we can say not his power, his sovereign power is different than his sovereign will. His power is absolute. He doesn't doubt his power. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. This leper knows intrinsically that this Jesus has the power to heal him. And so he comes before him and simply asks for his will. See, the fact of the matter is Jesus does want to make you clean. This is why God sent his son because he loves the world. And it says in other places that it is not God's will that we should perish, but that everyone 
would come to know saving faith in Christ. But Romans also tells us that we have darkened our hearts because we pursue our own passions and pleasures. and We've decided, even though we know God, to not worship Him or honor God as such. So it's not the power to save. It's really our will to come and bow before the king. And this leper does that. Jesus stretched out his hand and touches him, saying, I will be clean. Now we're going to see in just a minute, Jesus didn't have to touch him at all. And if you understand, if you were here when we talked about leprosy, you understand how scary this would be in this culture and in this context. I guess maybe we can relate to some degree with our recent pandemic that we are on the tail end of. This would be the same thing as hearing all this thing during, during the middle of it all where they were you know, scrubbing down New York subway systems and somebody went in and started licking handrails. That is the level of fear and like gross out and like how could you even do that? That's what's happening here when Jesus touches this leper. People would be in shock and they would be aghast. And here's the thing. Jesus loves this leper. Jesus loves you so much in the state of your uncleanliness. He doesn't have to touch you, but he does. Jesus desires to embrace you, even though unclean. And it's kind of like at our house, uh, we use uh, these uh, rubbing alcohol or hydrogen peroxide, right? And, and, here, and here's the deal. The hydrogen peroxide, the, the rubbing alcohol, that is never in danger of catching the infection. You can put your finger in the rubbing alcohol, and the rubbing alcohol doesn't have to worry about catching the infection and then spreading. Instead, what happens is when you touch the rubbing alcohol, that is cleaned by it. This is the level of Jesus' holiness, of his righteousness, of his power and his will. And so Jesus, although he didn't need to, he touches this leper who has not felt human touch in probably a very long time. He says, I will be clean, and then you can read it along with me. Immediately his leprosy left him. So you might feel unclean, you might feel untouchable, but I need for you to understand not to Christ. In a commentary, this writer writes, Jesus had not come to impress the crowds. He had come to die for sinners. And so he tells this man, listen, don't tell anyone about this. Just go and present your offering to the gift that Moses commanded as proof. What he says is, sometimes we can be caught up in these miraculous things that God does, and we can, we can start worshiping the gift instead of the giver. And Jesus said, don't do that. Don't go spreading this around. Don't go tell this to anybody. Instead, do your worship. You've been prohibited from coming to the temple for who knows, maybe years. And Jesus says, now that you are fit, go and worship the Lord who saved you. Brother or sister in Christ, if you're here this morning and you feel unclean, I want for you to understand that Jesus is here and ready and waiting to hold you in his arms, to cleanse you from every spot and every sin and every blemish so that you might be fit for worship in his heavenly kingdom. So we see that Jesus has authority over disease in several different places. The next is because of this outcast. This is what we looked at today, this centurion, a Roman and you heard what they said. It was probably Peter, wasn't it? If we, if we look at this video on there, wasn't it? If he harms our Lord, I'm like, that's Peter. Because he's going to pick a fight with a trained soldier. What an idiot, right? So like, gotta be Peter. What are you going to do if he decides to harm the Lord, Peter? Just get beat up along with Jesus, I guess. 
But here's this outcast. He's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. Jesus came for the Jews, not the Gentiles. And so who is this man? Who does he think he is? Not only that, but he's a, he's a Roman. He's an oppressor of the Jewish people. And so this centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, and calls him Lord. He's an outcast of the society. He's ethnically ashamed to have Jesus in his home. And the Jews also know Jesus as a Jew, would be made unclean. Again, this is rubbing alcohol, hydrogen peroxide situation. Jesus would be made unclean upon entering into this Gentile's home. And that's why they were talking about this in the video. But the fact of the matter is, is Jesus says, I will go to you. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to heal this person. And so again, if you feel unclean or if you feel unworthy, You feel like Jesus didn't come for you. Jesus came for all the rest of the people, but not you. Brother, sister, you are wrong, and you couldn't be more wrong. In fact, Jesus will enter into the very place that you reside right now. He wants to come to you at the very moment. He doesn't mind your house. Uh, One of the things that my wife and I have gotten over as being in ministry is having our house a certain way. Most of you women can probably relate to this, right? We have four kids. Our house is never clean. And by the grace of God, she has decided it's still okay to entertain. Most of the time when we were first married, she wanted everything to be in order before anybody comes by. And now, you know, if you drop in, hey, that's, that's your fault. <laughs> you know, you can... <laughs> no, I'm just... She does a wonderful job at being a homemaker in our house. We would... It would be rough without her. But the fact of the matter is Jesus understands that those kind of things aren't going to keep him away. The state of the home, the people who make up the home, are not going to keep him from that home. But then this is what the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. And he gives this example because he knows authority. You see what the centurion does? He, he doesn't apply his faith to the man who's a carpenter. He doesn't apply the faith to this man's knowledge and teaching of Scripture, his education, his wisdom. He applies his faith to Jesus' authority. The centurion says, I know exactly what authority looks like. I tell these guys, come, they come. I tell these guys, go, they go. I tell them, do this. He does it without question. And he does this because I'm a centurion and because I take my orders from Rome. And so when I get my orders from Rome, from Caesar, I pass them down, and it is as if Caesar gave you the order you dare not disobey. And so this centurion, more more than any of these Jews that were around, he understands authority, and he appeals to authority. And so Jesus reaches out to the outcast of society through his authority. And he tells these Jews who are there with him, listen, there are going to be people who are not coming from the Jewish tribes. There are going to be Gentiles like this man who are going to understand the authority, the power of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. And they are going to come and they are going to sup at the table with the king because they get it. So I want to ask, do you? Are you like the centurion? Are you rejoicing in Jesus' authority? You see, Jesus didn't have to touch the leper. He didn't have to go to the house. He simply spoke those words, 
and that paralyzed servant was healed. It says at that very moment, the paralyzed servant was healed. I wonder, I wonder sometimes what goes through people's minds as they're in Scripture. I wonder what was happening to that centurion as he was riding his chariot back to his home. Or we don't know if he was really riding a chariot. Maybe he was just walking to his house. Do you think at any time he was walking back, he had that, that lingering seed of doubt in his heart that we might have sometimes where he said, yeah, I talked to him, and he said that he was going to be healed, but when I get home, is he? And that he kept in his mind having to remind himself of the authority that he was familiar with, the authority that he appealed to. See, but the fact of the matter is is that Jesus' authority is absolute. And so this man, servant, was healed just as Jesus said it was because he had the authority to do so. The last section we see here that Jesus has authority over disease is in this marginalized character here. Uh, Ladies, I'm sorry to tell you this, but women did not have the same kind of rights as they do now. In fact, they were often not thought very highly of. In fact, I think that's part of the reason why when Jesus was resurrected, it was women that he appeared to first that the story might be believed and shown in power and shown to, to be for those who are marginalized by culture. And so he goes to, to Peter's house and he saw his mother in law lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. So this, who is thought as less than, right? Culturally marginalized. Jesus comes in and touches her, and her fever leaves. And so perhaps, unlike the leper, perhaps you're on the other side. Because the leper knows the deepness of their depravity, knows the the depth of their sin. But perhaps you're on the other side and you think to yourself, I feel foolish going to God with a problem so simple. I feel stupid coming to God for this something so small, like a fever. And what Jesus shows you today in this is there is no such thing as anything too small for him. There is nothing too big or too great, and there is nothing too small. It doesn't matter how close you are to him or how way. His power and his authority can be dispatched at any moment. Again, we see the loving hand of our Lord and Savior who reaches out to touch this woman, to have this fever, something small, leave her. And as soon as it does, what does she do? How does she respond? In service for our Lord. You're right. Isaiah 53, 5-6 Matthew quotes this section. This is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And perhaps you yourself are suffering with something or you have a family who's, member who is suffering with something and it seems like a chronic thing that the doctors don't think that it can be cured or, or whatever. And perhaps you've even prayed to Christ to have him deliver you from this disease and it hasn't been there. And so in your heart and your mind there might be doubt. Well, I want to read to you Isaiah 53, 5-6, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.
See, the word of faith movement, these false preachers and false teachers will tell you, it's God's will for you to be healthy. The danger in that statement is, that's partially true. Because one day, God will make you healthy. One day, the lame will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dumb will speak, and then with myriad and myriad of angels, they will hear, they will see, they will sing with the angelic throng, the worships of our King and our Lord and our Savior. But Peter himself tells us that he was a thorn in the flesh and that he had prayed for God to remove it. And God said, no, I will not remove it for it is there for a purpose. And so brothers or sisters, do not be dissuaded by the false teaching of our age, by those who say you can have your best life now. If you have your best life now, I pity you dearly. For the life to come will surpass all understanding. For who can understand the mind of our God? And so while this is true, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Yes and amen. Sometimes in this is still capable of that. Yes. Should we pray? But ultimately, Jesus will do that in the day to come. In the life to come. This is God's power to overcome and heal and the power to overcome suffering and sin. And in the meantime, we can claim as Paul does, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. And so we see Jesus here has authority over disease. But we also see, as we move through chapter 8, he has authority over his disciples. People come to him, and he he demands ultimate sacrifice. What Jesus is doing in this section as they come to him, and again, we've kind of covered this a little bit as marks of a true disciple. He wants unconditional trust. He says, if you follow me, I should be enough for you. In fact, more than enough. And he wants affection. We have to count the cost if we are going to follow Christ. We have to understand that he has to be more to us than our sisters or our brothers, our mothers or fathers, our aunts or uncles, even our children. That as we submit ourselves to his authority as disciples, he has called us even to leave family. J.C. Ryle once said, Nothing, in fact, has done more harm to Christianity than the practice of filling the ranks of Christ's army with every volunteer who is willing to make a little profession. So Jesus has authority over disease. He claims authority over disciples. Jesus has authority over disaster. The point in this section is Jesus is commanding his disciples to go to the other side, and we see this storm arise. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. He calms it with a word. The whole point of this is to show that Jesus is God. No one, nowhere, nothing else has power and authority over the universal elements of nature. 
Jesus is God. He is the God who rules. He is the God who spoke things into existence. And he is the God who calms the storms. So the point of this section is that Jesus is God. And he's showing that. He can teach on the mount with authority because he is the one who actually possesses authority. He is the one who calls you to repentance because he is the one who has the authority to pronounce judgment. And by the way, beloved, the same one who can pronounce judgment is the also one who can pronounce justification. He is the one who saves. And so the promise is this, is the same as not that the storm will end necessarily, but that he will be with you in the midst of it. And the good news is, is that Jesus doesn't get tired anymore. Jesus has now graduated from his purely human form, right? Half human, half God, this, this mystery of the two-in-one person who is Jesus the Christ. He is now in his glorified body. He has now returned to glory at the right hand of the Father day and night to make intercession on your behalf. But the same claim can be said. How often do we come to him and say, Lord, do you not care? Look, we're going to perish And he would say the same thing, oh, you of little faith, don't you know? Don't you know at a moment's notice I can calm this storm, make the waves as if glass before you? And then to follow up and to finish for this morning, Jesus also has authority over demons. So we see he has authority over disease, he has authority over his disciples, he has authority over disaster, he also has authority over demons. And I want you to see something interesting here. These demons are fearful. Look at verse 29. Behold, they cried out, What have we to do? What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now again, we covered this in more detail as we talked about marks of a true Christian, but here, as we go over it lightly, these demons were afraid. Why were they afraid? Again, I would appeal to you, it's because of his authority. They knew unequivocally that Jesus had authority over them. He said, have you come here to torment us? They also know the end. They know the end is death and destruction. They know the end is torment. And they know there's a time at which that is happening, an appointed time of which they can do nothing about except for submit 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But the fact of the matter is, my friend, if you are in Christ, that lion is on a leash. That lion has been declawed and has its teeth removed like the bumble. He no longer has any power over us, ultimately, because it is under authority. Even in the book of Job, before the cross of Christ, we see that Satan has to submit to God. He can go so far and yet no farther. So the fact of the matter is, and here's the sobering thing, these demons are fearful of Jesus because of their belief in him. I would even go so far as to say these demons are fearful because of their faith and their trust and their understanding that Jesus is authoritative. But yet in James, the brother of Jesus, he rebukes us as he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. See, so often our fear doesn't come from faith. It comes from 
the lack of faith. So often we shudder before Christ, before God, because we have a lack of faith. We have a lack of faith in the atoning power of the cross, and so therefore we are in fear of the judgments of God. We have a lack of faith in his power, so we do not share the gospel because of fear. So often, unlike demons, our fear is a wicked fear because it lacks the power of the blood of Jesus. Our faith must crush our fear if we are his. And so the fact of the matter is, Jesus grants this request, they destroy these pigs, and the same fear that so often plagues us plagues these people in this community. All the city came out and they met Christ in 34, and they said to him, please leave. You see, it is appropriate to have fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord, they say, should bring us to repentance. The fear is the beginning of wisdom. And friends, the end of wisdom is to allow that fear to bring you to a place where you accept Christ and his salvation in the cross. And so it is my prayer and it is my hope that as we look at Jesus' authority, as we look at Jesus' kingdom authority, that it would require us and drive us to respond in these four ways. And we'll cover them quickly. The first is this, that we would rely absolutely. What I mean by that is to simply trust. Fully trust. You know when you're like 15 or 16 and you feel invincible? The fact of the matter is in Christ Jesus, who has numbered the very hairs of your head, he says to you, you cannot make them gray or black, even by your own anxieties, that we can trust this God fully. That in Christ we are invincible and invulnerable, of course, until he decides to take us home. And of course, we don't test the Lord either. Jesus told us that. But the fact is, because of Jesus' authority, we can rely absolutely. The other thing we can do is resign categorically. What I mean by that is to submit, simply obey. He gives you advice through reading of Scripture, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. As you read His Word, through the Holy Spirit, it comes alive into your heart, and He directs you in the stillness and the quiet of your prayer time. Act. If you know what is right, then do it. Do not harden your heart in the day when He comes to you. Resign categorically. If we do those things, if we rely absolutely and resign categorically, yes, they're all ours, by the way, so just, that's right. So if you rely absolutely and trust in him, if you resign categorically, it will bring you to the third one, which is you can rest completely. You see, a baby in their mother's arms has no knowledge of fear. A baby in its mother's arms has nothing but peace and rest. And that is what God wants for you. He wants you to enter into that kind of peace, that kind of rest. And then lastly, I believe those three will naturally, in progression, then bring you because of Jesus' authority, to rejoice gladly. 
Rejoice gladly that your tomorrow is already cared for. That your tomorrow's tomorrow is cared for. Nay, even past that, that your eternity is cared for. You can rejoice gladly in knowing that the, that the prodigal child that you pray for, that God's will will be done. You can rejoice gladly in knowing that whatever mistakes you have made in the past are covered. That in His presence you will dwell forever. And that nothing, not the uncleanness of leprosy even, will cause Him to recoil from your presence, but rather he will embrace you fully because of his victory on the cross and his resurrection, he has authority. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for your authority. For you are God and we are not. And so like Job, we are left with our mouth to be shut that we would simply dwell in awe of who you are. God, we thank you that Jesus is authoritative and that he's the ultimate authority. And we praise you that you are a good God. A God who loves and cares. A God who sends his son. And in use of your authority, gives us opportunity to belong to you to remain with you, not only today, but for forever. And so, God, we would pray that you would help us to submit to this authority, that we would trust in this authority, that we would rely, absolutely resign, categorically rest completely and rejoice gladly in your authority. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.